The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're going to look at people with disabilities, specifically hearing difficulties, and how technology is changing to help them. Now, at this point, I normally stop and do a quick bio of myself and hint ever so subtly that if you have a conference coming up, I can be available as MC or speaker, but nobody's planning conferences at the moment. I'll just say, if you need to do face-to-face press interviews or want help with online presentation skills, you can find me at remotemediatraining.com. I've been a technology journalist for over 30 years, and I know where the traps are. I've been training remotely for over 10 years. But you didn't come to the podcast for that. You came to hear what my guest has to say. He's a technology evangelist, serial entrepreneur, and developer with a broad view of both the detail of technologies, the user experience, and wider interplay of different market solutions. He says that by itself, technology is a dangerous master, and specialism even more so. He's developed products as diverse as laser gyroscopes, sperm freezers, and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi adapters, always trying to understand and communicate why technology benefits the user. Currently, he's helping develop the next generation of low-power Bluetooth audio, which will enable a new product segment of hearables, to use his own phrase. He's here on behalf of the Bluetooth Special Interest Group, and his name is Nick Hun. Nick, welcome. Thank you. Okay, well, as always, I've borrowed your bio, I say borrowed, uh, nicked wholesale from your LinkedIn profile. There's a lot more to it than that. So do tell us a bit about your work, particularly in the audio arena. Well, right now I'm working with a number of Bluetooth working groups as we're getting close to bringing out a new version of the Bluetooth specification, looking really at where audio is going in the future. I think all of us today are used to Bluetooth headsets, Bluetooth speakers, in the past few years, Bluetooth earbuds. But the whole of the audio industry is starting to change. I mean, that's happened because of the way we consume music, um, the way that now everybody streams so much of the time. But with also, we've seen with voice assistants coming out, there's a move back to rely more on voice. So we think there are going to be a lot of interesting things happening. And the standards we have today were basically written 20 years ago in the days when we were really focusing on what happens of making phone calls when you're in cars. And they're not really there for a lot of the new things that we want to bring in. So we're trying to get a set of standards out that will let you do exciting things with voice. But a very important aspect of that, and actually one of the things that kicked this whole work off, was the hearing aid industry coming in and saying, there are more and more people who are suffering from hearing loss. They want the same experiences as everybody else. They want to be able to stream music, listen to TVs, make phone calls. And that's driving quite a lot of what we're doing in terms of flexibility, in terms of use cases such as telecoils and being able to hear in public spaces, and in the way that you can share audio. So we're trying to say we'll enable anything that anybody can think of. I think at the moment, the industry's probably been trying to lead a little bit in pushing the boundaries. And we really want to remove anything that stops them pushing those boundaries further. Okay, you said something there that, uh, well, quite a lot that caught my interest, but the one thing that really piqued my interest was the idea that we have more and more people with hearing difficulties. Is this because we have an aging population and we're living longer? Is it because we've developed this habit of uh, sticking these things in our ears and uh, putting them up too loud? Uh, were all our parents' warnings about rock concerts too loud? What's going, what's going on now? It's a mix of all of those. 
all of us tend to suffer hearing loss as we age. That's just a, a natural aspect of getting older. In the past, we saw quite a lot of hearing damage through industrial noise. We've done a pretty good job with that in society, that we've got health and safety concerns coming in that really have limited the amount of injury that people get as a result of their work. But at the same time, we've probably created even more injuries and hearing loss as a result of our lifestyles. Um, and the World Health Organization looked at this a few years ago, and they came up with a headline. They think there's a, over a billion young people sort of up to their mid-30s that are heading for the same sort of serious hearing loss in their 30s as 40s as their parents probably expected to get in their 50s and 60s. So we're seeing a change in the reasons for that hearing loss, um, but the way we behave and the sounds around us are certainly starting to produce other issues that we hadn't seen before. That's interesting. Another thing that caught my eye when I was being briefed about this area, so thank you to your associates for the briefing, uh, was this idea that you were hoping uh, in part to eliminate the stigma of wearing a hearing aid. Do we have any figures as to how many people are affected? You've mentioned that it's an increasing problem. Well, I think the issue that we have here is, is that one of stigma. I'm old enough, I mean, I think you may be as well to remember at school that no child would wear glasses unless absolutely forced to. Um, well, we had Joe 90, um, that's one for the American viewers. Well, it was exactly the Joe 90, you were specky or four eyes. Yes. And then all of a sudden it changed and it was fashionable. Um, yes. Yeah. Nobody I should quite just knows explain, why. the international market, Joe 90 was a popular children's uh, show featuring a child superhero who wore glasses. And I, I shall park that, that topic there. But, uh, yes. Do carry on, Nick. Yeah. Very large, geeky glasses. Um, some people say it was John Lennon that really killed the stigma and all of a sudden everybody wanted to wear glasses. But it went from the point of nobody wanted to wear them unless they absolutely had to, to people now going and buying wearing glasses just as a fashion statement. We now can walk down the high street, we see chains of opticians, it's primetime TV advertising. We're nowhere near that in terms of hearing loss. It's still something that's seen as a thing that you get, but that you don't really want to acknowledge the fact that you're wearing a hearing aid. And it's quite interesting that that's resulted in hearing aids being made smaller and smaller so that they're not seen. But the result of that is it makes the technology incredibly difficult to shrink down into that size. And that's one of the reasons why they are expensive. They are very, very difficult things to make. Now, I think what we're going to see happening with the way that earbuds have come out is in the first few months when Apple first produced the AirPods, all of the media was just laughing at them and saying, nobody's going to sort of wear what looks like the end of a toothbrush in their ears. Um, well, 150 million people have proven that wrong and are happily going around wearing them. So it could be the turning point where we start to see that. One of the other issues you have with hearing aids is because there's that stigma, people put off going to an audiologist, having their hearing tested until they're way past the point they could have benefited from having a hearing aid. Typically, the industry view on that is that most people could have benefited from a hearing aid about 10 years earlier than they actually got it. So there is a massive market of people who could be helped. And not having the hearing aid has vast numbers of other medical effects. You see that people start to pull away from socialising, having conversations, 
we know that people with hearing loss, particularly untreated hearing loss, are more likely to develop dementia. It's an effect that pulls you out of society. And that's perhaps particularly appropriate to think of now as we're seeing the stress of people not being in a so able to socialise because of the lockdown. But that in many ways is what happens as you get hearing loss. You just withdraw and you move away from all of that normal human interaction that you have. I still, uh, I'm not quite convinced of the stigma is where it was. I see an awful lot of people wearing, whether it's Bluetooth headsets or fashionable headsets on public transport, etc. I'm just wondering whether having things on your ear is such a problem to people in the same way that it used to be. I don't think it is, but I think we're just at the very beginning of that trend. So the first thing that will happen is we will see people going out there being quite happy to have things on their ears. And that's already happening. The next step is to persuade people to go out and start having hearing tests. As it's still that distinction of it's a hearing aid as opposed to an earbud. One of the interesting ones that I hear people talking about, though, is we're looking at some of those earbuds, starting to look at sort of the bottom end of hearing loss and saying, well, we're going to try and put a couple of audio algorithms in that enable you to hear your music the way you used to hear it. Now, that's not yet looking at the full clinical aspects of how do you cope with hearing loss, but it's the start of wearing devices that are going to compensate for that hearing loss. And that, I will certainly hope, will lead to more of a spectrum as we go from just earbuds through to the full clinical designed hearing aids. As it's that gap in the middle that really isn't being addressed either by consumer electronics or by the hearing aids at the moment. And that's around that stigma of just accepting that we all get hearing loss. It's natural. So let's go and do something about it. That's interesting. So what are some of the first steps you take? I mean, are we, are we looking at the, uh, making smaller and more comfortable earbuds? I imagine comfort's something that's got to go without saying. Or whether you're looking at you know, talk, partnering with fashion designers to actually try and make them cool somehow. I mean, you know, the idea of uh, people of our age deciding we're going to make something cool is maybe, uh, uh, maybe we're not the natural face of this. But I'm just wondering what the first steps are to try and make this destigmatization happen. It's an interesting question. I think if we knew the answer, we'd be further down the road. One of the things with hearing aids is they are at the moment deemed as medical devices. So you typically, in the UK certainly, go to your doctor, he will pass you on to an audiologist, they will then prescribe your hearing aid. Something like 80% of hearing aids in the UK are bought by the NHS. And one of the stigmas is actually is around that procurement of persuading them that a device that is good at listening to music and connecting up to the phones and behaving like a consumer product is actually something that the NHS should be funding. We then have to educate audiologists as well and we need the customers to come in and not just say well I want something so I can hear the TV better but make it clear that they want something that works as a hearing aid but also works equally well as an earbud so that they can listen to music and do all of the things they used to do before they experienced hearing loss. And that's one of the other subtle points of looking at the balance between medical and consumer and seeing how we can start to change all of the perceptions to say, this is actually about wanting people to be able to hear the way they used to hear. 
Now, we can't cure hearing loss at the moment. We can only try to ameliorate it. But we shouldn't, with that, try to say, well, it's still a different experience to what that is of somebody that doesn't have hearing loss. So there's a number of different threads going on underneath there. I think they're all starting to unravel, but it's going to take some years before we get this technology out in the market. Um, we're writing the specs at the moment. Typically, it takes three to five years to turn those into really any volume of products that are available. And in the meantime, I hope we're going to see people just say, well, what's important to me is that I can hear better rather than trying to put people into medical categories and sort of consumer categories. This is all making a lot of sense. And I think you've uh, touched on uh, what was going to be my next question, but I'll ask it anyway, just for clarification. My limited understanding of Bluetooth, I'm not a technologist. I'm not uh, someone who writes these standards or would understand the standards were I to see the documentation necessarily. But my basic understanding is it's short distance network and it's primarily but not exclusively used to transport, transport files, whether that's audio or something else from one device to another, my phone to my headset, or I can transfer files from my phone to my computer should I wish to do so. Hearing aids are a matter of application regardless of the source. So I'm just wondering what the Bluetooth link and why the Bluetooth Special Interest Group, SIG, is actually interested in this. I think there's two reasons. If I start with the last point is why is Bluetooth interested? The first is that there is an interest to try and develop technologies that help people rather than just sell products. Both are good, both are a name, but as you probably know, there's an awful lot of people sitting in standards groups that are, that are of the age where this might be a useful technology for them. The other aspect of that is, although there's a stigma around hearing aids, I think a lot of people don't look at them and understand just how much hearing aids have done to push what can be done with audio. Um, we have a really old technology that's out there in hearing aids called Telecoil, um, and that's the induction loops that you see in theatres, sort of in banks, ticket kiosks, where somebody with a hearing aid that is inside that loop can use that in order to listen to audio. Now, it's not very high quality audio. It's pretty grotty sort of 60s, 70s phone audio. So what we're doing with Bluetooth is trying to improve that. And that means that you can listen to decent quality audio that's broadcast, whether that's in a theatre, a cinema, a church, information from a bus shelter or a train about where it is. And that can be picked up with people with hearing aids. It can be picked up with people with earbuds. So it starts to bring those communities together. It also allows you to share. So if I'm listening to something on my earbuds and you come along, I can say, this is really good. Hang on, you can connect to me and we can both listen to the same thing. You can run silent discos with it. So it's providing some of those facilities that came from the hearing aid industry. It's looking at the other things that hearing aids are really good at, which is low power. So we've developed a much more efficient codec. That new efficiency means it uses less power, it uses less airtime. That gives designers more room to play with aspects of their product than they have today. And it's trying to bring those different communities, different use cases together. Now you mentioned sort of what, well, a hearing aid's a hearing aid, but an interesting story, and nobody really knows how apocryphal it is, though I can certainly say in the case of my parents it wasn't, is that most people only get a hearing aid 
when they get to the point of having fought so long over the TV remote control as to whether you turn the volume up or down that they're about to murder each other. And that poses an interesting problem because if you say you want the TV to be as quiet as any of the listeners want it, so that somebody with good hearing will say, don't turn it up, otherwise it's noisy. Then you need to amplify it for the other people in the room. And to do that, your hearing aid is going to be picking up the ambient sound from the speakers that everybody else hears. But you also need an amplified version of that sound coming through Bluetooth, as that's more effective than just trying to pick it up through the little microphones. So you can amplify that you can mix it with the ambient sound, you can make sure that the latency is good enough that you don't get any echo. And then the person wearing the hearing aid has that ability to mix the level of the sound they get through Bluetooth with the sound they're picking up around them. So we see hearing aids will be using Bluetooth for streaming audio to them that comes from other devices, whether that's from the environment around you because it's got Bluetooth transmitters in or a TV or a phone, and you'll still have the microphones in your hearing aid which are picking up the ambient sound. So you've actually got devices that effectively have sort of a little miniature mixing desk built within them. I suppose that's important because another thing about people with hearing difficulties, but uh, not only people with hearing difficulties, um, you know, anybody who wants to really concentrate and focus on, let's say there's a movie they want to watch or some sort of documentary that's important to their work, and the rest of the family who is in the room uh, might actually be having a little bit of a chat, thinking they're not distracting. But if you're already struggling with your hearing, then that's really a problem. Or if you're easily distracted, then you know, the chatter can still be a problem. The ability to zero in on one particular source of sound, it could be antisocial, but it could also be quite important and useful. And that's true both for people with and without hearing loss. And there's a lot of research going on at the moment into how people cope with hearing loss. When one of the symptoms there is being called hyperacusis, and this is where people find it difficult to pick up a conversation, particularly when there's a lot of background noise. You tend to start to develop this as you get older, but we're hearing from a lot of people in their 20s and 30s that if they're out at a noisy venue, they can see that some of their colleagues are, and friends are having conversations but they are having to concentrate enormously hard to actually understand what's going on. And by the end of the evening, they're just feeling isolated and stressed. The way we can pick up those sounds varies from person to person. And I think there's this realization we are more different. It also means that, I mean, outside what we're doing in Bluetooth, there is a need to think more about venues and noise. I spend a little bit of time advising a startup called Mumbly that's actually looking at the whole area of sort of hearing health around the environment. And there's a number of other companies that are doing this as well, trying to understand how we make the sound around us more conducive to our everyday life. Well, there are some spectacular bad designs as well in terms of buildings. I mean, if you go into a, a, a large shopping centre built, uh, say, in the 80s or 90s, and there's a lot of wood on the floor, and uh, glass instead of walls uh, to, as dividers. And you'll notice that it takes very few people in, say, the food hall before they're all shouting at each other to be heard because the sound's bouncing around the wooden leaves. It's very, very, very difficult to actually pick someone else out. So I, I think there's all those things that need some sort of work in the investigation. Yeah, and there's all of the restaurants where you know that you might have a nice meal, but you'll have ended up shouting at each other and come out with sore throats. Yes. 
Bluetooth SIG, I generally think about that as uh, being packed out with scientists and technologies. I could be wrong, so please do tell me a bit about uh, you know who else is on it. Uh, but also, um, I'm very interested to know whether you've had to draft in any clinicians or, or whether you have those people already. How's that actually worked? Bluetooth is mostly made up of scientists and technologists, but we are all sort of volunteers from our companies. So although we ourselves have the interest as engineers in writing good technical specifications, we have a lot of people to go back and talk to. If we look at hearing aid companies, they have close contacts with clinicians, very close contacts with audiologists. One of the things I do as well as a chair, I mean, I've always liked talking to customers because they're the people that generally can tell you how a product should work because they're the ones that have to use it. So we've been involved with a lot of other groups. In particular, in the UK, we have action on hearing loss. There's the Hearing Loss Association of America. And I try to use those as focus groups to just throw out ideas on how we think this will work. Because although we tend to think of hearing aids as being something for the elderly, and you then think, oh, they're not going to know much about the tech, there are a lot of people that have worked in tech that have hearing loss who are really, really interested in how this stuff works. And want to know and then want to tell us why what we're proposing is a really bad idea and we should do it another way and i try very hard to listen to those people because if we don't make it easy it's not going to get used and then we wasted a lot of time writing specs so i would welcome anybody if to get involved with those groups and through them we try to get feedback well, and of course like once it gets into products all of the individual companies then also have their own focus groups. Oh, of course, they'll be doing their market research, but I yep. think you're right. If you can start eliminating mistakes at the outset, then that's a great idea. That's probably a good time to introduce the last question, which is, of course, where people can find out more about you and what you do at the Bluetooth SIG. And if they do feel they could input into it, how do they get in touch? I have a blog. It's nickhun.com. I H -U -N -N, typically... H-U-N-N, I should just say. H-U-N-N, yes. I use that to write about what interests me at the time and obviously quite a lot of what interests me is the job and the hearables market. Over the course of this year as we're finalising the spec my aim is to start writing more about this but if anybody wants to get in touch then please feel free. Excellent Nick Hun of the Bluetooth Special Interest Group thank you very much for joining me. And thank you for your interest. And of course, many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futures podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time.